Hello and you're very welcome to the Women's Rugby Pod. Another episode, episode 61, on our weekly trail to bring you all the news from women's rugby. I'm Johnny Hampton alongside me, World Cup winner Rachel Burford. How are you, Burf? How's your Groundhog Days? Oh, not too bad, thanks, Johnny. Um, obviously, I had a spell of isolation, so came out of that on Friday. Um, Did and you? Literally, it was like when I got to walk the dogs. I was like, oh my god, I actually feel free. Um, but no, um, do you yeah, have a test? Not too bad. Do you have a test? No, couldn't have a test because it you you're not allowed to out of the house, are you? So because because we had a, a test positive in our camp. Aha, uh-huh, I see. We then made the right decision of everyone just going to isolation, including our staff, just to make sure. Um, so yeah, so came out of that on Friday, um, and then obviously our game was postponed. Um, and yeah, we're just we're we're at training, but we're socially distanced. We're we're back to the where we were really square one. If only it was like Groundhog Day, because I'd love to polish up my French. I'd love to do some learn the, learn the piano, the guitar, and what have you. But uh, look, it's an opportunity, isn't it, to uh, to do this stuff? Anyway, we digress in this COVID mad world. Look, we hope you're all, all safe and well out there, um, our, our listeners. In this week, we're talking about Six Nations. We've got a lady who is utterly entrenched and has been really since uh, since year dot in the women's game. Is the founder of Scrum Queens, Ali Donnelly, is joining us on the pod today to talk about that uh, that Six Nations uh, and the ramifications of it uh, of it being moved, which is what we understand it is going to happen. Although no official announcement, we'll bring you all the news from around the world of women's rugby as well. But without further ado, let's get the Scrum Queen herself on. Here's Ali Donnelly. Well, we uh, and other media outlets like uh, Scrum Queens understand that the Six Nations is to be moved to April slash May as COVID restrictions are being tightened, especially in France. The decision is believed to be being made tonight. That's Tuesday the 12th. And of course, uh, hugely difficult with a mix of professional amateur players making it near impossible for those players to to do testing and bubbles and travel and all that kind of stuff. So if it is postponed, it will create a massive scheduling headache given the delayed European World Cup qualifiers involving the likes of Ireland, Scotland and Italy and Spain and other World Cup events due to be played in the coming months. And there is probably no better person in women's rugby to talk about this. It's a very, very good morning to... The Queen of Rugby herself, founder of Scrum Queens. Good morning, Ali Donnelly. Good morning, and thanks to both of you for having me on. Don't be silly. As we say, Ali, look, we're having to record on Tuesday, but we've all had lots and lots of whispers and lots and lots of chatter that the Six Nations is going to be moved. There's no official announcement, but let's just take this conversation as read that it is going to be moved. Your initial thoughts on that? Yeah, I think firstly, we should recognise that this is an extraordinary time and that there's never been a situation like this facing sport. So, so the challenge for the organisers, I think, is one that we would have sympathy with. Um, so I think that's the first thing. The second is it should be moved. Absolutely. For me, there are a couple of things. One is it's not responsible, in my view, to, to ask players over a two-month period who are amateur mainly. There are some professional players, of course, um, 
involved through England and France, but the you know, majority of these teams are amateur. It, you know, so from a responsibility perspective, you know, to ask them to start a tournament in three weeks' time where they would be travelling internationally, you know, this is not like the WSL here in England or it's not like in the men's game, the Premier League. These, these players would be travelling cross borders. And so I think that's that's really difficult to ask of them. Um, and the second, of course, is that it's impossible for them to bubble. You know, they, they are working, um, even the men in the Six Nations, you know, I'm quite surprised, uh, though I understand why it's going ahead, uh, why pe- you know people aren't sort of making more of the fact that e- even for them over a period of two months they've got families they've got kids who are going to school it isn't possible unless you are going to kind of move yourself into a biosecure bubble uh, to be totally risk free so I-, I I don't think it should happen and so moving it is the right thing to do but it does create a headache and and I think the last thing I'd say which is probably the the, the part where I do think we can ask questions and where you know your sympathy might be slightly less is about how the tournament's been communicating. And, and you know, this isn't you know, a criticism of the people who work in communications at the Six Nations. I think they are doing their best. But as a tournament, you know, it's three weeks away. We have no on-the-record sort of explanation as to what's happening. You, you said it up top. We've all been hearing whispers. We've had a semi-woolly statement. There are players here with jobs, and they do not know three weeks out what's happening. And, and second... I think Amanda Bennett tweeted this, you know, this would never happen in the men's game. You would never be sitting here with three weeks to go. Officially, that tournament's on with no fixture dates, no venues, no kickoff times. It's un, it's 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 unacceptable, I think. But, uh, you know, take it taken all together. Very hard time. But, you know, this could have been handled better. Bev, I want to get get your sort of initial thoughts in as well, but just off the back of what, what you're saying, Ali, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And this is off the back of last year when we were told a whole revamp was going to going to be made, a whole rethink, all the rest of it. I mean, I personally have, yeah, for the last uh, eight, nine weeks, been trying to get hold of the, the tournament director to, to get him onto the pod, but also just to find out what's going on. Had a couple of text messages saying, happy Christmas, but but that's it. I mean, that's that's all well and good, but yeah, this, is a, this is a professional game. This is one of the, the leading tournaments in the world, in the women's game. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it? That we haven't had some sort of communication, just to say we've got no news, but actually that's that's news in it, in itself. We're trying everything, we're doing it to the last minute because we're trying all these different options. Um, that that would be a communication within itself. Berth, your 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 reactions to to the tournament being being shifted. Yeah, I, I'm with Ali on it. I think it absolutely has to, and for all the reasons that she said, but I also think for the integrity of the tournament, you talk about the preparations that teams have had, well, only England have had real preparation, and, and again, that's not even great preparation. So I think for the integrity of the tournament, you you can't ask international players to go and play Test Match Rugby when they haven't played since last year. Like, What's the point in that? That's just ticking a box and getting the tournament done with. That's not actually putting the, the tournament on higher steam where it should be and going, right, we need to make sure that all our players, all our teams are well prepared going into this tournament. So, A, it can look good. We can get more, like, sponsors can get engaged in it. Commercial get engaged. Like, if we don't have a great tournament, then we can't build the rest of it. So, I think everything that Ali said, as always, as she always says, good things. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, just the integrity and, like... You know, I've had players messaging me going, do you know what's going on? Like, I, yes. I need to make decisions about life, whether I'm going to stay in the game or not, because they, they can't keep sitting in this limbo land. And, and like you said on the communication front, like, how we, how don't we know? How have we heard rumours and why is there not a real statement out? 100%. I mean, that, that is that's incredibly worrying. Players contacting 
Well, not the, the fact they're contacting you for information. That's that's not the point I'm trying to make. Um, but actually, sort of making decisions, or, or trying trying to make decisions, and you know that 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 falls down to you know, freelance broadcasters and what have you, like myself. Um, but look, we are in extraordinary times. I think you know that that's a point you, you've made, Ali. I, you know, these are extraordinary times. But just a bit of transparency, right? Just a bit of transparency. This is this is what we're trying. Anyway, so so for the for the home nations, Ali. Obviously, England were were, were able to to complete their Six Nations last time out. We did have three games cancelled. Scotland only managing to complete three games, and obviously they're 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 doubling up their Six Nations games um, with World Cup qualifiers. It's really really tough, isn't it? Yeah, and I think you know to remind ourselves how hard this is going to be. You know, the Six Nations wasn't finished last year, and its replacement tournament in autumn wasn't finished either. Um, you know, I think if you if you move the tournament all going well and it is played in full, I think I was thinking a lot about this yesterday when when you know I knew I was coming on here. There are there are a couple of things that happen when you delay the Six Nations. So one is you're delaying all the World Cup qualifiers, obviously. Um, but actually, from a European perspective, that is doable. You know, Spain have to play a couple of games, yeah. and once they can manage to do that, you know, the, the the European World Cup qualifiers can happen. I think the challenge is actually with the rest. So we still have an Asia tournament to play. Possible that can happen. You know, Asia's in a better position in terms of COVID. Uh, but there's there's the final qualifier tournament from which there are teams all over the world involved. So how do World Rugby get Kenya playing Colombia? You know, how, how do all of those other competitions happen? So I think moving the Six Nations does create a fixture headache, definitely in Europe. But it, I think if I'm World Rugby, I'm actually probably more worried about all the rest of it. And then I suppose the second is if the Six Nations happens in April and May and there are still postponements and cancellations, back to your point, Rachel, how do we judge whether the teams are adequately prepared? You know, how, how do we, you know, if Scotland, you view Scotland, they've played hardly any rugby uh, and they were the worst hit last year. If only a couple of their games happen and, you know, World Rugby is flexible with the qualifiers and, they, you know, and they find a way to make the World Cup happen. How do we say that that team, if they qualify with two games behind them or whatever it might be. So, so I, I think not only does it create logistical problem, it, there's, there's a general integrity issue here that, you know, and I do not envy uh, World Rugby and those involved in trying to make these decisions, but um, it all becomes very difficult. I couldn't agree more. I, Scotland were were beginning, weren't they? They're, they're really showing some real, real shoots. Goose had come in and and started to put some, some really, really good foundations. They're playing some, some really, really good stuff. And then to, to have that halted, because they were full full steam for for World Cup qualifiers, it, it does does make it um, very very difficult. So if we if we were to 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 turn that on the head, and we we understand the the Six Nations moving the ramifications of of World Cup qualifiers, let let let's turn it on there on its on its head, ladies, and and as we quite often do in this pod, is is look at the glass as half full. What are the opportunities then to having a standalone women's Six Nations, uh, totally aside from from the men? Um, I mean, for, for me, that's always been something that um, has felt like the best uh, opportunity to, to capitalise on the growth of the women's game. And I think, you know, unfortunately, we won't. I don't think this year would really tell us if it will work, because like from where we're sitting now, the idea of crowds uh, being back in even in April and May in full seems slim. I have no inside knowledge on the government's plans for that, but I, I can't imagine we're back to 10, 15,000 people in stadiums in, in April. 
So, so I don't know if this year would tell us, but I do think the tournament is ready. It's been ready for a couple of years. You know, England's crowds have been 10,000 and up. France have been up there 15 plus for a while now or, or close to that number, Ireland growing, etc. So it is ready. And I, I think you're right, you know, glass half full, loads of opportunities here, but we do need those involved in running the competitions. And in this case, it's the Six Nations to recognise the growth potential here. And I think, you know, back to the communications point earlier, when things like that happen, to me, it says they don't recognise that. They, 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 they're they seeing this as a tournament that has to happen. We need to, we need to, as you said, Rachel, you know, this, and maybe actually this box needs to be ticked is not the right phrase here for this, but, but we need to, it needs to be seen as something that has the potential to, you know, innovate, to grow, etc. And And I say to anyone who will listen to me, that in rugby, women, the women's game is the only growth part of the sport, particularly in the adult game. So this opportunity is here, glass half full, uh, but it has to be capitalised. We are reliant on people running the game to see the opportunity to make it happen. Yeah, I agree with you, Ali. I think I think it was probably you that started the, the whole chat about moving the windows and, and the growth and the opportunity that we have there, because you, you just kind of... If you look into the deeps of that, that means we can have scheduling early. We don't have to share venues. We don't have to share spectators. We don't have to share broadcasts. The, the opportunity is so, so big to have the Six Nations stand alone for women and then grow the momentum off the back of that. And like you, you think about how you could have that, the domestic league happen, then your international, then maybe summer tour break, and then bang straight back into it. It builds that momentum consistency through the year instead of kind of this, where it comes in in January well, sorry, February, then it's a bit bitty with the, the domestic league, Six Nations happen, then back to domestic league. It would be just great to have that kind of consistency for all players involved, for, for I think, like, even down to, like, climate, even down to, you know, most other female leagues are finished by then, so you get more people engaged in it, you get all the social coverage, more media interest. There's just, there is so much growth. And, but... Can we sit here and really think that they don't see that? Like, that's what's kind of quite baffling. Like, if if the three of us, well, you two are very like much more smarter than me. But like, if we if we can sit here and recognise that, then surely people who are in those roles do see that potential as well. Well, I, th- I think they do. And to be to be fair, you know, a lot has changed, I guess, in the world of women's rugby. And I think people like Casey sadly are coming into world rugby and shaking it up. Uh, you know, things are happening. Um, but you know they need it needs to be grasped, and I and I guess one of the things this year, you know, I work in sport, not not in international sport, and not in rugby, but you know, I, I know that there is so much happening right now that that the wood, for, you know, seeing the wood from the trees is really difficult, and stepping back and seeing the bigger picture is really difficult. But I guess you know, on the Six Nations, this you know, this is a this is a tournament that you know, my understanding is the Six Nations committee or, or organization want to commercialise. So here we've got an opportunity to do it. Um, so let's grasp it. And, and, you know, remember too that, you know, thankfully women's rugby is not held back by the kind of decades of arguments about global calendars that the men's game has, which is, you know, now coming back to bite it in the backside, I think, because, you know, nobody can agree anything about moving tournaments. Uh, we haven't got that. So, uh, you know, I, I hope they do realise it. I think they do. Um, but they need to be brave and make decisions. And that's that, that's hard. The big thing for me, and it, I think it's a bit of an issue with rugby, is is actually some joined up thinking. You know, if if you are going to move a tournament, let's let's get commercial people in. You know, from my point of view as a, as a broadcaster of, of of the game, let's do some different stuff with it. 
let's let's try a Friday night. You know, women's Six Nations Friday night. Let's let's try a time when when it's acceptable so that players can can actually watch it. It's not a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon when 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 people are playing. But actually, get these kind of people around the table. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but. From what we see on this side, it, it seems that joint of thinking possibly isn't there. And actually, if you've got those those kind of people in, in the room and those conversations, you're going to get a much better product c- come the end of it. And I, I, I'm with you. I think there's a huge opportunity without a global Canada. Um, and again, we, we're hearing whispers. We've spoken to to Sabil, and yeah, you know, he was talking about a, a, you know, a world league. Suday was was talking about sort of joining up the men and women's package in terms of a broadcast rights so there are these kind of conversations going on we just wish it would kind of happen and, and, and join up quicker sooner rather than later that's I think that's that's generally my point yeah and, and I think you know I tweeted about this this week sometimes when there's crisis you know innovation is just acceleration beyond what you ever thought was possible so there isn't there's a moment now I think uh for the game to, to for the women's game to really just sort of burst to life but um, my fear is that we'll, it will be constrained because the people who are running it are so preoccupied with all of the other terrible and desperate kind of challenges, some of them financial, some of them logistical, some of them, you know, existential for some parts of the game. So, um, yeah, I hope to see that too. But, um, you know, uh, my expectations are, are fairly um in check, I think, actually, from years of, of talking about this. Yeah, it's like we do come around to this every year. Ali, outside of to moving it alone, which I know you're you're an advocate of, what else would you do to to, to revamp? Just on the top of your head, what else would you do to, to revamp the tournament? Yeah, well, I, I think we we do know that there are like in depth discussions that are quite far along the line now about a you know a full global calendar for the women's game which takes in competitions in the southern hemisphere that joins it up with the six nations and so on um i i would just really like to see those plans come to life i'd like to kind of hear world rugby talk about the process behind it where we're going with it um because everything i understand about that is exactly what we should be doing um it's about you know making give, giving international windows to the game that are routine people know what to expect and you can do all the exciting things that you know, people like Sude talked about last time out, um, you know, joining up broadcast packages and so on. So I think the ideas are there. Um, you know, COVID has just knocked us back a bit, has thrown tournaments into doubt and, you know, the World Cup must be amongst them. Um, and so I would simply like to just see the plans that are being worked up now brought to life and, and you know, made made transparent. Um, and what are we thinking about a World Cup? I think if, for my money, I was talking to, to a friend yesterday about, it. I think the Olympics, you can kiss goodbye. I think the only hope for for the World Cup is the fact that it is in New Zealand. You know, and I, I had a had a chat with Simon Middleton just a, a catch up with him the other day. You know, talking about a couple of weeks in in isolation once they arrive in New Zealand and and, and then moving on and the fact that there's quarterfinals means you can kind of grow into the to the tournament for for those top teams. Are, are we thinking that New Zealand might be the savior here in, in, in getting a World Cup on? Well, I think there's that, um, but I also think nine out of the 12 teams are qualified. So, you know, yes, I mentioned up the top that there are challenges to finishing it, but World Rugby could be really flexible and and, di- and do something different here and not have the qualifiers and use rankings. Now, that wouldn't be ideal and there'd be huge questions about integrity, but if they want the tournament to be played, the fact that most teams are qualified and it's in New Zealand uh, suggests to me it's 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 much more possible than, than we might think on paper the question will be what's happening in the world i mean the vaccines change things 
you know, will players be vaccinated by then? You know, if they're in England, maybe uh, because of the speed of the programme in other countries, maybe not. So um, I feel like the World Cup right now is very possible, um, you know, notwithstanding what this virus might throw at us. But um, again, I think with that, we need a decision to be taken early summer uh, if, if it's going to be moved, because you know we, we can't be where we are now, three weeks out, wondering what's happening. There's no doubt a couple of more curveballs, isn't there? A couple more COVID curveballs coming. Uh, we just can't second guess Ali. So that's a positive. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Ali, constantly over time, just one last question. And you kind of, you, you, you touched on it at the, at the beginning in terms of a sort of social consciousness. Do you think that we, we now know that, that Europe is, is the, the men's European uh, Heineken Champions Cup is, is suspended and the Premiership's going to take a couple of week break, which kind of goes in line with the, with the national lockdown here. Do you think the Premier 15 should should follow suit and have a bit of a, a break as well? Yeah, very interesting debate going on in that league about testing and so on. Um, you know, I, I have some sympathy for, for both sides of the coin here from the, from the RFU's perspective. You know, they've got a World Cup to prepare for. It's a tournament they're trying to build profile for, etc. Uh, you know, players are given choices to opt in or out from the player's perspective. You know, it's risky. And again, many of them have jobs. If there was a break that was possible, yes. Um, if it's, you know, I, do, I don't claim to ha- have, you know, insight to the discussions that are happening about that league. Um, if there isn't, then, you know, they need to take the decision that's best for them, the players' health first and foremost. Yeah. I would be interested, I would be really interested to know, and I don't know, maybe Rachel knows this, well, she will know this much better than I, What what is the general consensus of the players and how, how do they feel? And I think that's, you know, very important part of this argument, but um, of this debate and this issue. Um, but but I think, you know, I hope I'm not fence-sitting too much, but I think this is a very difficult issue and I can see both perspectives. Splinters galore. Over to you, Beth. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I think previously, like coming, getting the opportunity to come back in and train last summer, the changing of the rules, the restrictions that we have in place at club, like personally, I can speak for myself, but I genuinely felt very safe in that environment and the environment that we're in. I think what's throwing us around in the work is this new variant and that's what scared people and worried people. And, you know, I think the fact that the men's league is off where it is tested and like, regularly, I don't see how our, our league can continue over this breaker, should I say, um, without any testing. I think, you know, there are players, there's so many players in the Allianz Premier Fifteens that do work and some of them are critical workers as well. So I think, you know, for them, you know, for me, I come home and I stay home. I work from home. So I'm I'm not so worried about that side of things. But there is a lot of questions that have started to spark. And, um, yeah, players are concerned and staff and management are. And I think, like you said, Ellie, when we first started this, every single player was so grateful to the RFU to change things, to make it happen. You know, we weren't in a situation where we could test. So what they did, they looked at the rules to mitigate any of the many of the risks as possible to allow the game to happen. There's a World Cup next year. Players need to be prepared. They need to be playing. The profile needs to build. All that needs to happen. They found a solution. Um, and I think this new variant has just kind of thrown everything up in the air and maybe made everybody go, right, let's just sit back and reevaluate where we are right now. They did put in those weekend breakers, didn't they, for, for the, the likelihood of, of games being postponed and whatever. So there was eight eight weekends, I think, something like that, that they've they've put in. But, um, yeah, I think there's there's also uh, 
as you say, if the men's is fully professional, they're fully tested and they're pausing, okay, it's an enforced break. But actually socially, the yeah, for for me I think the league goes, do you know what? Everybody else is in lockdown. We we should probably probably do this the same. And I understand that the you know, it's entertainment and people want to see it, but yeah, it's not it's not on the main broadcast or whatever. Yeah, there's there's chat on Twitter today about BT picking up a game and showcasing it and what have you. Yeah, I'm fully fully available now without Europe to uh, to commentate. Should you need BT? But no, no. In all seriousness, um, I think it I think it's a good idea. Anyway, Ali, we have taken loads and loads of your time. You've got a proper job to get on with. As ever, absolute pleasure and a delight to to speak to you. You you speak so much sense. As Fiona Stockley has, uh, has said on Twitter, you could if you could fill weeks with your uh, with your passion and your intelligence around the game. So yeah, as ever, thank you so much for for joining us on the WRP. Thank you both, and thanks so much for all you're doing too. It's brilliant and great to listen every week. It's Katie Savier here, general manager of women's rugby at World Rugby, and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. Fabulous to uh, to have Ali on the uh, on the pod. She does speak a, a lot of sense, doesn't she? And a lot of experience in it, a lot of uh, connections, and yeah, a great deal of sense around the the women's game. Involve someone like her, get her in on the conversations. We try to do some stuff to to coordinate this kind of stuff, to 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 pull this kind of stuff to together. Uh, and actually get the kind of right kind of people people in the room because there's lots of people doing stuff for free out of their own time out of their own passion for example you and I do this podcast you know it, it embrace that rather than seeing those as as, as challenges but um, she made some some very very valid points there Berth what what particular sort of caught your ear yeah well I think the big thing that I hadn't actually thought about was the fact that we are three weeks out and we're waiting to find out confirmation of what's happening with the tournament. Like, and you wouldn't that wouldn't happen in a men's game. They would either make that decision really early, or well, yeah, they would make it early enough so that people can continue and move on. And I think Ali always speaks so much sense, but she's also been reporting on the game for so long now, and she can see you know where it's going why barriers are in, in place and what things need to be changing. And I think you know, we find out more information through Scrum Queens than anywhere else. And yet that's a site that's run by two volunteers. It's just, you know, it, it's just annoying that actually we don't have more coverage and more transparency with communication to find out that it's not on the break, it's not on the grapevine that you hear rumours and then a press gets hold of it and then leaks a story that's not still not true but but puts it out there. It's like just to have some leadership with it. Yeah, I, I don't mind saying I've been to the RFU, been to the the the, the Premier Fifteens, been to Six Nations. I said, look, happy to kind of head up the broadcast and actually obviously in conjunction with yourselves, but actually kind of take it out of house and, 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 and do all that kind of stuff and make a really, really good product. The, the amount of st- stuff you can do nowadays, sat on your sofa in your pants at home, you could be, you know, the, the green screen stuff, you you could be, you know, on, on the beach in the Bahamas. That's, you know, this unbelievable stuff that, that, that can be done now. But I think it's that it's that transparency thing, isn't it? And And we totally get, there's a global pandemic and thousands and thousands of people are losing their lives. And you know, that, that's the, the really only, the only focus of every human being on the planet at the minute. It always certainly should be. But just come out and say, we are taking this long. 
we know it's not ideal but we are trying to explore every avenue which is why it's taken so long these are the possible options on the table um, we are still discussing them we have a meeting on da 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 and we hope to have you some news on what why be scared of a, a press release like that I don't I just don't understand the world needs more transparency I agree with you and how, how, being a captain and knowing what players are like they just want to be informed even if you said sorry we haven't got any information for you today it just makes them go right okay we're in the loop we know it's we know that there's nothing but we're we're part of the process and I think just kind of letting everybody know because it's so like like ourselves we want to do good for the game we want to promote what's going on we want to talk about it we want to shout about it but all we all we can do is really talk about speculation and then the negatives around it we don't want to do that so like if they're more if things are more transparent then we can get on the right side of it and support it that's the thing nobody's out to get anybody here like all we want to do is support what decisions are being made talk about them you know and and give reason to them as well 100% and look you've got agreement from the pup as well so even the, even the dog's on side with the uh, transparency <laughs> of the Six Nations we'll say again we, we understand how difficult it is um, we will still continue to get uh, Ivan Yabranka on the uh, on the pod the, the tournament director for the Women's Six Nations um, as I say in, in contact with him but um, yeah, obviously he is a he's a busy chap at the moment anyway we will wait and see as we suspect Six Nations will no doubt be moved till April slash May standalone and uh, let's end the Six Nations section on a positive and there are huge opportunities surrounding a standalone tournament so let's get let's get tucked into those just with a bit more communication. I am Shona Pell Hughes and you are listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. News time and... Let's go to the other end of the world where potentially, hopefully, oh, everything crossed, as Ali Donnelly said. Um, yeah, the likelihood. He's looking all right at the moment, isn't it? Because it's down in New Zealand. But Whitney Hansen, yes, daughter of uh, World Cup winning coach Steve, has been selected as the Blackferns intern coach for the World Cup. Remember, that's part of the, the World Rugby Initiative uh, to pay for a coach to be entrenched in the national setup in a lead up to the World Cup. Hudson has been coaching the, the Blackfern's development side who was involved in the New Zealand Barbarians for the last couple of years. So a good appointment if she's half as good as her dad. <laughs> she'll be alright, yeah, won't maybe, she? Maybe she taught her dad all he knows. Quite possibly. <laughs> yeah. Had the privilege to, to meet Steve on a, on a couple of occasions. No, re- really, really nice guy and yeah. A, a brilliant man manager. The, the one quote from him I've always, always stuck in my head is, if you have a, uh, the room full of the top coaches in the world, the best coach in the room is not the one who's technically the best, but the one who's emotionally mature, who's the most emotionally mature. And I think that's, uh, that speaks volumes of, of how he achieved what he, he achieved. Anyway, that's uh, Whitney Hanson in, in New Zealand. And some exciting news coming out of Elian and Trail Finders announcement this week. We're pleased to announce that we've secured a long-term investment to run a programme for women. Our aspiration is to produce homegrown players, both men and women, and give the best opportunities to become great players and prepare them for their careers after rugby. Yeah, big big statement that from uh, from Ealing Trail Finders, along with uh, Brunel University, sort of basing it there. Just the uh, the cynic and the 
conspiracy theorist in me says they're doing that because it's minimum standards. Uh, either way, look, it's positive news, isn't it, for for women in the in the local area, and they are. I know, yeah, very, very. Uh, ben Ward, who's the director of rugby, there is is very, very keen on, on growing local talent. So, very, very good news for Ealing Trailfinders, another little hot spot for for women's rugby in the capital. Staying on Premier 15's news, the clubs are a few medical staff and performance directors came to the decision to continue with the law variations. Uh, I guess. Still quite lucky, aren't we, to, to be regarded under elite sport, despite it not being elite or, or professional, um, where players are being tested and most of them are, are, are amateurs to, to still be playing. But yes, just to let you know, those, those law variations will continue for this foreseeable future. Exeter have been signing again. They've got three new players, USA pair Rachel Johnson and Joanna Katalinski, and also the Irish winger Laura Sheehan. Saris have been in the market as well. A couple of new players for them. The returning Mackenzie Carson. Uh, she was a force of nature last season. Seem to remember her scoring a well, certainly try assist at the, the stoop for Marley Packer try. She's outrageous last season. So, yes, good good to see her back in the league. But also Aisha Corrigan, a central wing, and Emma Taylor, predominantly a back rower. Both Canadian internationals have signed up to the champions. Why? Why are these clubs making signings, Berth? Are they fearful their sevens players are going to go? Hmm. You have to ask them, Johnny. Good out. <laughs> Standing in sight. Um, <laughs> it's great, though, isn't it? The fact that so many overseas players want to come and play. Yeah. I think also a lot of people overseas will be seeing the fact that we are playing and want to come and get some some top quality rugby in yeah i'm not sure it's a it's a, it's a purposeful or, or deliberate thing but actually you know the, the premier 15s in english the rfu are actually helping the women's game all round because players are coming here in preparation for a world cup and what have you week in week out it's a very very high standard of rugby and actually that lifts the, the standard of rugby across across the globe so whoop whoop to the Prem 15s. It was round 10 at the last weekend. A couple of games postponed, as you've already mentioned, Harlequins and Wasps, Saracens and Sale. Both fell by the wayside to the global pandemic. Gloucester Hartbury did, however, entertain Loughborough Lightning. Now, you tipped Loughborough Lightning to win at 29-21. They did win. And Lark Davis with her 10th try of the campaign. That's bonkers. I reckon that's 10 tries, 10 metres. Well, I think you're being generous. <laughs> Worcester, back to winning ways for Joe Yap's side. 70 points to six over DMP Durham Sharks. Shotted Harris with four tries, the Welsh international. You tip Worcester. Again, you were correct. Good that for Worcester. Get some confidence back. Yeah, and I think if you see the highlights, you know, they played really, they played particularly well and they finished really well. They retained the ball, which will be some of the things that Yappy and the team, you know, would have been disappointed with in previous games. So I think, you know, getting off to a good start for them in the new year, kind of, you know, what's been has been. They've got a couple of key players back, so have a fisher on the bench for them. You know, got wealth of experience, and she's a pretty hard player. So, I think you know that we're going to only see Worcester improve from here on out. 
Bristol Exeter, which was the uh, the live stream game of the RFU. Drum roll. Is it three from three for Rachel Burford? She tipped Exeter to win the away side. And indeed they did. 31 points to 27. In a very, very exciting game. Uh, Jasmine Joyce with a hat-trick. I, I, I think she looked a little, little sluggish, if I'm honest. Yeah, she looks slow down there. Really, I think she really has lost a huge amount of pace. We, we, yes, she looks absolutely, absolutely rapid. I was lucky enough to be in Italy, which he scored that non-try for Wales uh, over in Italy in that sort of six-all draw, whatever it was. Unbelievable pace, unbelievable pace. Anyway, she, uh, she scored a hat trick. Exeter were down two to fourteen with Patricia Garcia, friend of the pod, red carded for for a challenge. Saw the challenge. There's no other option, is there? But a red card. But I'm not sure there was there was any any malice in it. And Garnet McKinder, again, who's been on the pod, scored the late winner. Yeah, what an impressive final try from um, Garnet. I don't know if you saw it, but one hand diving over the try line in midair. Two people taking her out. Uh, really exciting. And I saw that she posted being like my first ever try scoring like that. So she's clearly been something that she's working on. But yeah, really close encounter. I think, you know, Jasmine Joyce kind of saved Bristol really with her breakaway tries, you know, intercept and just the way that she can turn it on um, repeatedly is really impressive. Um, But, you know, fair play to Exeter to be down to 14 players with a key player like Patricia, who is your nine slash 10 as well, because she slots into 10 normally when um, Flo comes on. And I think, you know, for them to have beaten Bristol, very narrowly to hold on to the win to keep fighting right in the death says a lot about them and hearing Susie's interview after she's very impressed with the resilience with that the team showed yeah and that was 44 minutes they went down to 14 so I mean that's that's hella hell of an effort and that means Exeter are now up to fifth behind uh, your Harlequins of course Wasson Saracen's on 35 with the Insects having played nine games and the Champions just seven Lightning in that final playoff spot Bot on 34 match points. Then come Gloucester Hartbury in six. Bristol seventh. Uh, Worcester, Sale and DMP. On to this weekend. So should around 11 happen? And we know that there's whispers and rumours and what have you that the uh, the Prem 15s might uh, might take a bit of a break. Anyway, let's, let's do this just for a giggles anyway, Berth. Round 11, should it be played? Sale against Gloucester Hartbury. Well, I think Sale are having a bit of a dip in performance at the moment and I think Gloucester are actually on the up and starting to improve, so I'm going to back Gloucester Hartbury on this one. Wasp Worcester? As much as Worcester have improved, it's going to be Wasps. Loughborough Lightning against Bristol? Loughborough Lightning. I don't think Bristol, you know, last weekend, I think they... It was opportunist moments that, that got them in that game and kept them in it. So I think Loughborough Lightning will, will take that one. Exeter Quins. Home win? Quins. Okay. Uh, what's that? Home <laughs> win, you say? Lovely. DMP against Saracens. Another home win there? Saracens. Saracens. Saracens, of course. Quick, quick say it louder and clearer. <laughs> Good stuff. Your predictions should, should those games go ahead. There's uh, other rearranged fixes as well. We've got some details on those as well, haven't we? Yes, there's rearranged games from round seven, that clash between DMP and Sale, and round eight game Harlequins between Saracens will both be played on February the 6th. 
There you are. You are fully up to date with all the news from the world of women's rugby. That's about it for this week. We will continue to bring you news for the women's game every single week here on the WRP. A couple of shout-outs, though. All of those in United Arab Emirates. Now, this is a, this is a biggie, Berth. We probably should have mentioned this at the beginning of the show. But we are 45 on the sports podcast list in the United Arab Emirates. Hey. That's it. Hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. I, my, my work here is done. <laughs> That's it. Life is is, is, is is full and complete. Maker, you can take me now. Uh, but no, tongue in cheek. But no, thank you very much for, for wherever you're listening to this. And some good news surrounding some of the referees who were due to officiate in the Newcastle Cast and the RGM Benetton games, respectively. Holly Davidson and Sarah Cox. Hopefully when those games are rearranged or whatever, those ladies will, will pick up the whistle again. But yes, well done, Holly, and to Sarah as well. But that just about leaves us uh, for this week. Huge, huge thank you to Ali Donnelly for coming on the pod. Such clarity from her, as as always. Thoroughly enjoy her, her company, and I know that the listeners thoroughly enjoy listening to, to what she has to say. Next week, I think we'll get one of the Celtic Nations on just to see how they're coping with the... Uh, with the lack of Six Nations, with the World Cup preparation, those World Cup qualifiers still hanging in the balance constantly, just how difficult that is psychologically to, to deal with. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. But as ever, we would urge you to, if you haven't already... Yeah, get in touch with us, subscribe to the pod so you find out all the information us early. And look, we know it's a difficult time. You're not alone, so reach out to us if you need anything. And you can find us at Pod Women's Rugby on both Instagram and Twitter. And our email address is Women's Rugby Pod at gmail.com. Stay safe, everyone. Until next time. <laughs>